Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Welcome back to Beyond Sales Development. I am your intrepid host, Justin Michael, doing my best, William Shatner. I have on the phone with us today, Mike Simmons from Catalyst Sale. And uh, Mike, we'd love to hear more about your model and what you're up to with sales development in the world of sales enablement. Ultimately, it's about just trying, and one, thanks for having me on. First time I've ever been on with an intrepid host, which is kind of cool. The, <laughs> as from a model perspective, you know, your framework, model, approach, whatever words you want to put behind it, but it's ultimately about helping people get better at sales by connecting the dots between problems that are known or unknown and solutions that are known or unknown. And depending on where you are on that continuum, your effort from a sales development, a marketing, a demand gen, new customer acquisition, sales approach all starts to change and ebb and flow. I love it. I've got visual behind of like all these cool deals and there's a money sign. So that's good. Talk to me about the sales process. People are saying we're in a new normal, <laughs> a new paradigm. And other people are saying sales hasn't changed at all. But it is a, a bit of an existential threat that I can't go shake someone's hand, maybe fist bump or have a dinner with them. We can't rely on the events anymore. What are your tips? I like to get tactical for people seeking to improve their sales process now. Is it the same and we do a better job? Where are we going with it? Yeah. So, I mean, we're still communicating with human beings. There's a human being on the other side of whatever channel it is that you're using to communicate with, whether it is a phone, whether it is a puppet show, whether it is a Zoom call, whatever it is, you're communicating with another human being on the other side. So you've got to start to think through what are the various ways that human beings communicate. I, you know, born in New York, get pretty animated. I, you know, calm down a little bit after living in Southern California uh, in high school, but I still use my hands. I use facial expressions. You you don't have to guess what I'm thinking or what I'm doing or what I'm trying to convey. And I do that both through my nonverbal, which now we lose in the context of actually being in front of somebody, but we still gain in the context of video calls that we can do. Now, before video was a thing, and I was conducting sales discussions on a phone, on conference calls with multiple people on conference calls, you had to look for Verbal cues, ahas, uh yes, asking questions, trying to verbally get the smile and the head nod on the other side. I think all of that's still the same. We're still operating in an environment where we're talking with human beings, ask better questions, listen better, be very deliberate in how you provide feedback and confirm things. And that communication will get much better. I don't know if that hits the mark from your perspective or if you'd like me to go deeper. No, I think that's great. Yeah, the paradigm of Zoom, I've, I've actually remarked on, it's pretty interesting. One, 
If you go to your reactions, you get two emojis, which is a yellow thumbs up or a clap. There's 3,000 emojis in Unicode. So I think we could like hit that API and have more emojis, but we're in this two-dimensional space now. And before I was doing this, I was flying to San Francisco, New York, even Europe, and getting in front of people and going to boardrooms. And so you're saying there's ways to make Zoom more effective with inflection and body language. And this is actually really a cool point that not too many people are talking about. There is a company called Mm-hmm. So you can say it while you're eating from the uh, former CEO of Evernote, where he has all these really cool overlays. Like you can make your head small and play CNN, play your report. But you're saying there's some kind of uh, tonality and body language shift. Now I'm starting to do this <laughs> while I'm interviewing you. Give us more tips because we all want to be able to close a seven-figure deal or six-figure deal on Zoom. And there's that myth that uh, now we don't have a chance because we can't meet them. Well, and you know, so one of the things I would do when I was out in the field, when I'm actually going out, doing the same thing, getting on an airplane, flying to the UK or getting on an airplane and heading out to Boston or wherever it was that I was going, I would use whiteboards in those offices. I'd want to sit in a room that has a whiteboard up. So what do I do? What do I do? I put a whiteboard up behind me on my Zoom. I can do an artificial background and I can add in some cool things in the background, or I can actually animate while we're talking. I can start drawing things up as I learn, as I hear things from people, I can put those up on the whiteboard behind me as a note to go back to. The other thing I can do is I can be very deliberate about the way that I speak. I can increase inflection toward the end. I mean, think about, uh, what is it? Anchorman, you know, Anchorman, when Ron Burgundy gets the uh, teleprompter and there's a question mark at the end and he's, I'm Ron Burgundy, you know, it turns it into a question. There are things that we all can do that we see in the way that others work. Stop complicating this stuff. Just be very deliberate and remember, I think the best thing to remember, and it's something you see just about every time you look in the mirror You've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, or at least most of us have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Take the time, pause, listen, ask questions. It's okay to ask a follow-up question to an answer to clarify your understanding. The more you do that, the better people on the other end are going to understand, holy crap, this dude's not just pitching something to me. They're actually listening to me. They're actually putting the solution that they're delivering to me in the context of what's important to me. It's a very important thing for people to do, and we can all do it. There's no reason. There's no reason for us to be lazy and not do that stuff. Yeah, so active listening is very hard for me personally because I talk for a living. So I always joke, I like, I get on a Zoom and I move my lips and checks come in the mail. It's a pretty good job. It's not that easy as we both know. There's a lot of prep that goes into it. So you finally work up to a Zoom. You've got the key dream client on the call and you're excited and it's like, Help, with, help us out with psychology. Like, how do you stay calm? How do you do the active listening? How do you budget your time? Because now we have the systems like Gong, and they're telling us, okay, you're speaking too fast. You're listening to talk ratios up. So now you have like the, the kid in driver's training where it's not like, <laughs> I know that I should signal check and glance and the instructor is teaching me. And now we have more feedback loops and analytics, but then it's kind of stressful in a way. So like I coach people and I try to figure out ways to improve their calls. One of the big things, though, is really getting prospects to open up and using questioning techniques like spin and fostering the act of listening. It, to, to listen better, you have to ask better questions because if you ask better questions, they'll talk more. So these, these chicken and egg problems like I'm unbundling a huge Pandora's box, but I'd love your philosophy and tactics around that. Really, what I try to do is keep things simple and I and take more of a design-oriented approach to doing things, which I know just sounds jargony and fluffy and all of those other things. You can read books like Covey's Seven Habits. One of the seven habits is begin with the end in mind. When you go into your call, 
have a clear end that you're moving toward. Know what your desired next steps are before you pick up the phone, before you entered in, enter into that call. Anticipate what the customer's objectives are, what the prospect objectives are. Know what your objectives are. Understand who's going to be in the room. If you know those four things, what are my desired next steps? What do I anticipate are the customer, the prospect, the person on the other end's objectives are? What do I know are my objectives and who's going to be in the room? Then I can ask better questions when I'm in the room. And those questions can be as simple as who, what, why, where, when, and how. Just an iteration of it. So I hear you talk about uh, Gong. So you're using Gong. Well, you know, how do you use Gong? How does it, well, how yeah. does it impact, how does it impact? And I'll, let me just riff for just a second. I'll say like, how do you use, how do you use, so that's awesome. I asked a question and then I interrupt. Don't no, do you it. got, you did such a good job on the question that you caused me. Do you see how you provoked me right out of the interview? The tone was so perfect. I viscerally like, how do you use gone? I want to be like, oh, I'm using chorus of this client. But like, that's a perfect point for listeners. He asked it so perfectly that he broke me right out of listening mode. Because I, I had to respond, so and it felt natural, right? Like it felt natural. It felt like I was yeah. really interested in that in that piece, and we can do that. We can do that if you're actually interested with people. So interested in what people are sharing. So as you listen to those things, ask those questions. Okay, how do you use Gong? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What would you change if you had a magic wand and you could change something about it? What would you change? And as you go through these things, now what you're doing is you're getting someone's guard down a bit as they start saying, you know what, this person's actually interested in what I have to say. They're interested in my perspective. And then when, when you share that perspective, then go in and ask another question related to something you heard there. And if you watch or listen to Chris Voss, uh, Never Split the Difference, he talks about tactical empathy and mirroring, taking the last couple of words that you hear and putting that back onto the other person. It's the same kind of thing, but be genuine in the way that you approach it. Don't do it because you're trying to trick somebody into doing something. Ultimately, as an SDR, as someone who is working in business development, your objective, at least any of the SDRs I've worked with when I've done this stuff in the past, it's been about how can I get as much information as I can that's not public, not the stuff that they're sharing publicly. How can I get that information out so I have more context? And one of the ways that I can do it is I can demonstrate that I've paid attention to what they say publicly, bring that up in the conversation, and then ask them to expand upon it. And then once we get that level of rapport built up, that comfort, then I could turn around and start asking them some things that are a little bit more difficult based on what I know about the industry. How are you thinking about changing the way you look at sales process inside your organization? How do you support better adoption of practices and documentation inside your organization? What would happen if you could do these things better? Where have you struggled? But these are all who, what, why, where, when, how type questions. And for those of you who are comic book fans, it's basically channel your inner Lois Lane. Realize that there is not a end of the story with the first piece they give you. There's you got to go a little bit deeper. Don't accept the first piece. Go a little bit deeper. Do some root cause analysis. Read your Toyota stuff around five whys. There's so many different ways to do it. Just don't overcomplicate it by trying to be too clever in this perfectly crafted question. Just keep things simple. You're dealing with human beings, which I know just brings us right back to that human component of it. Yeah. So here's a fun thing. So I like, I love Elon Musk and first principles. So I'm, I'm a bit of, I guess, a, a little eccentric at this stuff, but I did finally take a step back and I said, is sales development so hard that we need to read the work and philosophy of an FBI hostage negotiator? Like it is super cool, but what's next? Like, are we going to get Navy SEALs in the bomb squad? I mean, 
is it this hard to set a meeting in COVID? I mean, it is kind of comical in a way. Like Chris Voss is a genius and his book's great. And it's it's another one of these in the canon, like Robert Cialdini, Dr. Cialdini and the, and the persuasion principles and it's neuroscience and it's true. It is funny in another way because he did negotiate hostage crises. So, you know, there's a lot to learn as you're in sales development. What is the future? That's what this podcast is about. The future of sales development. Do you think we will get to a point where artificial intelligence can do some of these things that humans are doing today. I Uh, hope so. We don't have flying cars. What's really going to be possible in five years or 10 years? Where are the advances going to come? Because right now we just have point solution, point solution, more tech stacks. I think the average rep, like 15% of high growth companies are spending over $1,000 per rep per month. Can you talk to me about the tech stack world? Is that interesting to you? Yeah, the tech stack is interesting to me. The thing that you've got to be really careful about, though, is buying into the idea of the tech stack doing something more than you ever could have done yourself. And, you know, again, comic book, I I like movies, I like comics, I like all this kind of stuff. Use the Ben Parker quote, with great power comes great responsibility. So you can take this technology and use it to do really stupid things. You can accelerate bad behavior. How many times have you looked at, I think of any of the companies that are out there that deliver sequences. Is it shocking to hear that outreach says that it takes 14.2 contacts in order to get a level of engagement? Well, they deliver engagement stuff. Like that's what they deliver, sequence stuff. Of course, that number is going to continue to rise. So take a look at the technology that's being delivered to you, the technology that's being sold. Ask, how do they make money? How are things changing over time? What's the actual impact inside your business? How will it change the work that you do? To get to the point that you brought up about the books that are out there, whether it's Cialdini, which uh, I'm an ASU grad, and he was one of the uh, professors that was out there when, when I was going to school back then. If, whether it's that or it's Chris Voss, if you're going through and looking for the next shortcut, the next quick fix, the next silver bullet that's going to help you do your job, stop. Just go out there, do the work, figure out what works for you, start applying it, and then do more of it apply your own scientific method to the work that you do and you'll get better. So the future of this craft, I think is applying learning that we get from ourselves, the interactions that we have and using it to iterate on the way that we behave and we work. And ideally we will be able to use technology as a way to augment the work that we're doing so that we can work better, smarter, faster than we are today. I would love to have had LinkedIn back when I first started carrying a bag. I would have loved to have had, I mean, back then they talked about having Rolodexes and now we've got digital Rolodexes, which demonstrates how old I am. But the future is let's use the tools to move things faster, move things better. Let's not use them just to kind of procrastinate and put lipstick on a pig and say that we're being really clever in the way that we're interacting. If it ultimately isn't helping you book more meetings, if it isn't, and those meetings aren't ultimately turning into more revenue in the business, then you've really got to ask yourself, was this worth the investment? Still test, but was it really worth the investment? Yeah, that's a great point. So one of the things I love to do is I love to teach people to do their sales presentation on a whiteboard like the one you have. So I have like a great affinity for that. It's not old school. It's new school. You want to get your tech stacks to work? Turn all that off. Go to a whiteboard. Get your sales and marketing in the room and map out the customer journey. And everybody start looking at all the ways the customers interact because it's a full funnel approach. Like Phil Fernandez, who's a co-founder of Marketo, wrote that book, Revenue Disruption. And I loved it because that was like in my way, like I think that's the firework that signaled the ABM and ABS account-based sales revolution. 
tell us about that. That's the rage, right? It used to be open regions, territories, you carried a bag and you cover the Northeast. Now it's like, it's pretty surgical. Like your marketing is going after specific accounts. You're a sales development rep. You're targeting specific accounts for specific AEs. You've got systems that are trying not to cross pollinate. There's a lot of, there's a lot under the hood, but there's a different strategy now for how business gets developed. What are your tips, techniques, strategic advice to leveraging those systems to thinking about that model? So we've got, and I've got it in the logo for the business. It's a territory plan, which is basically an iteration of an area chart to focus at time and attention. And the exercise there is let's list out the four to five binary statements, yes, no statements around our ideal customer profile. So let's say it's organizations who are generating greater than 2 million in ARR. They've got more than 20 people inside their organization. They're, we were started by a technical founder and they deliver an, an enabling technology into the marketplace. As I work through that process, I've got these statements and I just create yes, no lines. And I start to, on either side, I, if I say yes, it moves to one side of the area chart. If I say yes to the next one, it moves up. And what I'm doing is working toward extremely focused on the segment of the market I'm working with and not trying to boil the ocean. I'm compartmentalizing. I'm creating opportunities to test by being extremely surgical in the way that you approach this. You remove the emotion around, hey, if I squint, will that customer fit my ideal customer profile? Yes, they might. Well, now I'm going to extend my sales cycle another 30 days, or I'm going to extend my sales cycle another six months, or I'm going to create scope creep in my product. So be very deliberate about how you design. And I think it's really cool to talk about this idea of how, what do I know about how the customer goes through their decision-making process? Not just how they buy, but actually how they make a decision. Because those, those things sometimes are two different things. There's the decision-making process, and then there's the buying process. The buying process is functional inside their organization. The decision-making process, a bit more emotional and inside the organization. So how do they make the choice how do they decide? And then how do they actually go through the buying process? Then beyond that, how do we actually execute as reps? What's our process? How do we do that over and over and over again? And when I talk about it, I talk about it in the context of you identify people, you engage with people, you establish objectives, you call them, you clarify your next steps, you call them to action and re-engage and go through that looping process. And that's not new. It's, it's based off of what John Boyd did around his OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act. Don't try to come up with some clever new way to do stuff. Look at the way that people have been successful doing these things in the past and think about how can you apply those concepts into the work that you do. That's how I think this will continue to evolve and will continue to iterate. Be surgical, be scientific in your approach. And you will create more repeatable, predictable results. Yeah, I just love speaking with you because I'm such a student of there's this thing that's gravity, right? No matter where we are on the planet, if we drop something, it's going to fall. And the human brain's been around, you know, whether you think 4,000 years or a million years, I mean, it's been around a long time. So I don't think in the last 10 years of sales tech or the last 50 years of selling, brain has changed that much. We've become smarter at aligning to the neuroscience and understanding how the brain works and aligning our sales process to the buying process. So I'm loving all the analogies and all the work you've done in studying uh, such a vast array of techniques. Tell me more about how you're impacting organizations, because I'd, I'd love to hear more about your work because you, you just you know anything any interesting revelations you've had about outbound sales uh, just insights that you found that you could share 
Yeah, if we were having this conversation five years ago, I would have said there's only one sales process and it's the catalyst sale process because I was so <laughs> into, into it and I just, I couldn't get past it. And then you start to realize, and you know what? It doesn't matter what you call each of these stages. Ultimately, what you're looking for is progression that, that improves um, probability uh, in certain outcomes. So the big thing, the big change for me over the last number of years has been, I don't worry as much about the vocabulary. Um, what I want to do is have consistency. So if I'm talking to somebody about football, I've got to confirm, am I talking American football or am I talking British Premier League football? Because if I'm talking about American football to, with somebody who's thinking we're talking about British Premier League stuff, we're going to have some challenges in the way that we communicate and there's going to be some, some misalignment and there's going to be some friction that gets created there. So the big thing for me, what I do with organizations where I help is I simplify things into basic concepts, basic individual words. You see some of the words I've got on this side of my whiteboard. They're things like automate, growth, simplify, speed. These are things that can help us make better decisions inside organizations. When we're making a decision, we've got to go back against our framework and say, all right, is this this type of a decision or this type of a decision? Does this get us closer to this thing or further away from this thing? If it's going to get us further away from this thing that we're, is important to us, should we be doing it or shouldn't we do it? Let's get into binary decisions that we make at a much smaller level. So work down to the lowest common denominator, make simple decisions so that we can make progress. There's somebody had said this and they started said this right at the beginning of the COVID stuff. They basically said, you don't solve complex problems with complex solutions. You solve complex problems with simple solutions. So look at your business, work to simplify, create focus around what you're putting your attention toward and solve for that. And that's what I do with organizations. I do it both at an individual rep level and help from a coaching perspective. I do it relative to process and understanding customer decision-making process, buyer buying process, sales processes and sales rep approach. And I like drawing a lot of cool things up on the whiteboard just so that we could, so that we all get alignment because people can understand the pictures. You could say, Hey, you know what? I want more money. Well, how do I get to more money? It comes from these demand gen areas. And then once I have it, how do I grow it? Well, it comes from either strategic growth, general retention and reducing churn. How can I simplify these things into simple targets? And for me, that comes down to breaking things into, into groups of three segmenting and executing against that. That's awesome. I love how eloquent you are. Have you written any books? Do you blog frequently? I should know that answer. I should study my guests, right? Do your research, do your LinkedIn research, but oh man, I mean, you're getting me. I have been attempting, aspiring to write a book for <laughs> years and it is the bane of my existence. It is one of those things I'm like four or five chapters into one book and three chapters into another. And that's where I just need to focus and execute. So I've got a number of people who are giving me a hard time to get that moving along. Primary thing I do, I blog on uh, catalystsale.com. If you go to the blog, I also have a podcast, which is the Catalyst Sale Podcast. That's where I pull together information and share information. At some point, there will be a book. It's It will happen. And I should just publicly say uh, that you know what? I will get it done before Q1 of 2021. It will be done and out there and published before Q1 of 2021. And if I really hit all my marks, I might be able to get it done by uh, the 1st of January. I love that. So I I finally wrote a book and I my, my post after I wrote the book was don't write a book. <laughs> I will not read that post because it'll just scare the crap out of me. <laughs> no, you'll be good. It's just, it's by the time you've done all the revisions and the edits and you've heard, you know, everyone and their mother comment on the thing. You're just like so over the material in a way because you saturated yourself and you almost need someone else to write you a book to explain 
your book in a sense. But yeah, I love what you're saying because the way to become a great writer is to read and to write. And you've read so many cool things. And I'd love to see a book where you just weave in all the stuff you put on this call and all the different methods and your insights and reflections. Because here's a question. People, there's 6,000 sales books. It's all these blogs. What should people read and do and apply? And then like, what are your tips for how you read stuff and you applied it? Because you have this skill that I think sales development reps want. One, they want to be able to absorb all the stuff on the prospect, synthesize it, and create acumen and insight. But then they want to be able to read all these cool techniques and apply. And both of those things are super hard to do, especially maybe if you're just starting out. What are some tips that you have on how you do both of those? So it's like research that is like high impact, low weight to get in front of clients, and then self-improvement as far as becoming a better salesperson but not getting bogged down. I mean, not everyone can be like us and reading all these sales books all the time. And we became sales trainers and that's unique. This is just for like frontline salespeople who may be time poor and want to do these two things better. The first thing I would do is you just do the work. Like just do it. Don't go out there looking for some new clever trick or technique. They don't exist. I've, I've done this long enough where I can tell you Oh, they don't exist. There's a section in The Art of War, which is a pretty old book written by some dude named Sun Tzu. And you take it way, way back. And back there, there's a section, I think it's chapter five on energy. And it says, there are five primary colors, yet when combined, you can create an infinite number of color schemes. There are five primary senses. There are five, five primarily, primary tastes. When you combine these things, five primary notes, when you combine these things, you can create an amazing amount of music. You can create some amazing food. Figure out what your five primary things are, whatever those things are, the things that you really do well, that you enjoy, that you want to apply. For me, I'm good at listening and I'm good at asking questions. I will ask the questions that other people won't. And I will ask simple questions in a way that just basically feels extremely comfortable and if, you know, if that ends up being your thing, then then lean into it and have that thing be your thing. But figure out your, don't even do five, just figure out your three things that you do really well, that you enjoy doing, that you like doing, that people like doing with you. Do more of those things. Don't go out there looking for the next gimmick or the next trick because it just doesn't exist. And one of the things I think that's really important as you go and consume content, for me, consume a lot of content these days now through Audible. It's just so much easier to go back and, and you just consume a lot of information, but go back and listen to the same thing over again. And I forget if it was Nassim Tlaib or Naval Ravikant, one or the other, but they talk about getting more value out of listening to one book three or four times than listening to three or four books one time. I listened to the foreword of The Effective Executive, Peter Drucker's book, where Jim Collins goes through his 10 takeaways. I listened to that once a month, the first Wednesday of every month. I listened to it. It's a couple of minutes long. I fly through it quickly, and it causes me to take a pause, reset, reflect. Am I doing the things that are addressed there that will help me be more effective as an executive? Find your... Jim Collins forward or whatever it is that helps you do it. It could be Jocko Willink and some of the stuff that he does. It could be, maybe it's a Catalyst Sale podcast where you listen to one of the episodes and you're like, wow, I just need to hear that dude say that over and over again. Or maybe it's this episode, but find your thing and just continue to repeat it. 
If you want another example of that, just look at Bruce Lee. It's, I don't fear the man who practices one kick or 10,000 kicks one time. I fear the man who practices one kick 10,000 times. Practice those things 10,000 times. Put it into practice. Still test. Give yourself a little bit of time and a little bit of freedom to test, but put this stuff into practice and you'll be shocked at how much better you get at doing things the way that you do things well, if you just keep doing the work and doing those things well. I love that. So you've shared so many amazing things in here. We talked about Chris Voss, Jocko Willink. There was this other method that sounded like Ubloom or what was it? The OODA loop? Which sounded like, you know, Oompa Loompa. Like yeah. I just suddenly so uh, John Wonka. Boyd, John, look at John <laughs> Boyd. And I had... You know, I've mentioned the podcast a couple of times. Dave Burke was on. He talks about the OODA loop. Lieutenant Colonel John Boyd came up with this. Observe, orient, decide, and act. They used it to help improve dog fighting. Don't go out there and recreate the wheel. Yeah. You- so basically, if I can negotiate the hostage crisis, I can jump in my MIG fighter and dog fight better. <laughs> but then maybe I can also just be an SDR. I think you nailed it. I, like, I think, I think we're ready. I think we're, we're both pilots and Kung Fu experts and yeah, all of those Fu. things. I'm excited. This has been so fun and you're so knowledgeable. I'm everybody, please check out Mike Simmons, S I M M O N S and catalyst sale and check out his book, his blog, his podcast, get all this awesome stuff going, connect with him, LinkedIn, any other stuff we missed you're working on where people can find you. Just catalystsale.com is the best place to go. I've just launched a, a new course called The Reset that uh, applies some of these frameworks around goal setting and execution, creating clarity and focus. If you struggle with goals, if you find yourself challenged with this, and I know I talked about not accomplishing my book goal, um, other things have become the priority. If you're struggling with goals, go through uh, and take a look at this. Uh, it might help you out. Uh, this has been awesome. Thanks for the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Mike. Have a great one.